0: Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey everybody, welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services and sponsored in part by Sosby's Garage at 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville, Georgia. Give John a call at 678-825-2127, at 678-825-2127, and he'll take care of you, your vehicle, and anything you got a problem with. You might even do a little counseling if you, if you beg him. Uh, again, I'm your host, Rick Strawn, President of Paradigm Security Services, and we are excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We are coming to you from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Each week, we plan to feature businesses in the Atlanta area and people in the Atlanta area, especially those that conser- that serve Gwinnett County. While all businesses and, and people have uh, security concerns, not all are about physical security. So we will touch on that and all related aspects of security through the course of each show. Our guest today... I'm very happy to have Dr. Paul Brown. Uh, many of you know him, and he is a candidate for the 9th Congressional District, and he wants to go off to uh, to the nation's capital and take care of us. And Again. Again. Again, yes, right? again, That's true. You have been there before.
1: I have. I've have oh, served man. seven and a half years in the U.S. House of Representatives, representing the 10th Congressional District, which, by the way, had about... 20% of Gwinnett County in the district at that time. So I've, I'm at home here in Gwinnett County, and I love Gwinnett County and the people here in this county, and it's a it's a wonderful place to live and to work. And to play. And to play.
0: And it is indeed. the old saying goes. Right. <laughs> well, i tell you what, I don't know a lot of people are familiar with it, but tell me, who is Dr. Paul Brown? We know you're a doctor because you got that title. Right. Uh, uh, don't know what you're a doctor of for most people i'm a medical doctor i'm a general (laughs) practitioner
1: did house calls prior to being elected to congress uh, from 2002 to 2007 actually had to get nancy pelosi's permission to continue doing house calls when i was in congress for four terms um, which was fine with me Uh, in fact she told me or they told me, the Ethics Committee, which is driven by Nancy Pelosi, she was speaker at the time, uh, that I could not make one single penny. And I have my whole medical career have said I would love to be able to serve people and not have to charge them anything. So while I was in Congress, you got to do it. I got to do that. Plus, I got back in the military during that period of time. I'm a United States Marine. I was, uh, yeah, (laughs) hoorah. I was... um, an enlisted jet engine mechanic, uh, VMF three fifty one, out here at uh, at uh, NAS Atlanta at the time. That was in the. I'm not going to tell you exactly when because I'll tell my <laughs> age. But uh, anyway, That's okay. but I was an enlisted Marine. And then when I was accepted to medical school, I got out of the Marine Reserves into the Navy Reserves and was commissioned. And I was recommissioned back in two thousand and ten because we were involved in a conflict and Marines want to go whenever you have a conflict. And Absolutely. so I got back in the Navy in the reserves as a medical officer, just for one reason. And I wanted to be deployed. I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2012. So I'm an Afghan. Well, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to serve this nation. And it's an honor to wear the uniform of the military. And you were in the, uh, coast guard auxiliary. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your service as well. But the, uh, uh, I, my God-given gift before I ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior personally, which happened in my mid-40s, is serving. And so I'm a servant. I'm a servant at heart. And what I am doing as a doctor is serving my patients. But what I'm doing as a candidate and what I did as a congressman is to try to serve our, our nation in a different capacity. We've got to stop this out-of-control government. The spending is just horrendous. Republicans and Democrats alike are spending Amen. money that, that they do not have, and it has to stop. When I was in Congress, I introduced the strongest balanced budget amendment of the Constitution that any Republican has introduced. I introduced more targeted spending cuts than any other member of Congress, and I don't, I'm pretty sure nobody has matched me since then. We've got to deal with this debt that is just totally unsustainable and eventually is going to lead to a financial collapse of this nation if we don't stop it and start dealing with this debt not only of the debt itself but we have so much in the way of unfunded liabilities that nobody's talking about but me that I know about anyway Uh, I've talked to some economists that think we have unfunded liabilities of our federal government up as high as $250 trillion and it just has to stop it cannot go on and What I'm fighting for is for our grandchildren's, grandchildren's future. And it's just absolutely is critical that we put this country back on the course that our founding fathers gave us in the Constitution of the United States as they intended it. You see, the Constitution is a legal document. In fact, my good friend Justice Anthony Scalia said that in Uh, in rulings that it is a legal document it does not change it's not a living and breathing document it's a solid foundation and government needs to be constrained by the u.s constitution and i don't see republican even conservative republicans in washington today that believe that one they they don't feel any constraint they use the general welfare clause they use the particularly the commerce clause and the uh, necessary and proper or elastic clause to expand the size and scope of government. It just has to stop, Rick, and that's what I've got to do. Just like I went to Afghanistan to fight for this country, I'm going to Washington to fight for our future generations.
0: Well, I tell you what, you'll get no argument with me out of uh, finding some way to constrain this government. uh, And and like you say, it's both sides. Absolutely. One side just doesn't do it quite as much as the other side or quite as big as the other side. but. It still gets done one way, you know, whether to like it or not. Right. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about about the virus. I mean, that's that's the big thing. We're not going right. sp- we're not going to stay on that the whole time. There's just too much other to talk about. But you know, eighty percent of our antibiotics and, and much of our medical equipment is manufactured in China. Now, I for one, that is just that's horrific that we even got ourselves into that. Sp- And it's both Republicans and Democrats that got us there. I mean, it was basically over the last, well, the last multiple terms, the last three presidents have really solidified it being over there as a manufacturing base. Right. What are we going to do about that? What are you looking at? What do you
1: think? Well, Rick, we've got to bring manufacturing back to America. It's just an integral part of of our economy it has been and it's manufacturing that has made this country great you don't have an expansion of the economy unless you take it out of the ground take just raw materials out of the ground mining and energy exploration or grow it out of the ground farming and forestry and then take those things and improve upon them which means manufacturing and building that's the only thing that expand truly expands our economy Uh, so we've got to promote policy that does those things. What we have had, and as you mentioned, we've had four presidents since, uh, since Ronald Reagan, who've basically been globalists. They have, uh, in fact, George W. Bush, nice man. I like him personally. I had uh, several opportunities to talk with him personally, uh, not about politics, but about uh, personal issues, primarily about his accepting Jesus and my <laughs> accepting Jesus as our own personal Lord and Savior. But um real nice man, but he made a statement, he said we are no longer a manufacturing economy, we have to be a service economy. But you see that doesn't really grow our economy. As a medical doctor, if I come see you and say I charge you a hundred dollars and you pay me a hundred bucks, you're a hundred dollars less rich. I'm a hundred dollars richer. By the way, that's I can't go buy a hundred dollars for house <laughs> <I was> college. <calling laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit right. more than that, but not much. But anyway, Good round the finger. thing is it does not really improve the economy at all. It improves mine because I've got a little bit more money and uh, means that you have to work a little bit more and sell more security services to have have your economy improved. But as far as the overall uh, general economy, it doesn't improve it. The only way we do that is by expanding the manufacturing base of of our economy. And And this virus has pointed out not only the medicines, wreck, but the testing kits that they sent us from China, they were making all the testing kits, and they were they were deficient. They were uh, not good testing kits. Yeah, we haven't to develop our own.
0: They sent a lot of testing kits to other places in Britain, I think, that were totally, right.
1: th- they're totally bogus. Bogus, exactly. And um, China's our enemy, economic enemy, and we need to face that. I'm not a globalist. I'm not a protectionist either, but we need to have manufacturing here in this country. Realist, it really is, and it's a national security interest, and we're seeing that just from a health interest because not only medicines are mostly made in China, but most medical products are made in China. Most of our uh, goods and that we sell in, in stores, whether it's a mom-and-pop store or whether it's in the big box stores, are made in China or overseas. And we've got to bring that manufacturing back here to this country. And, Absolutely. And that means we have to have policy to do so. And it's actually government that has driven manufacturing away. It's the regulatory burden and the tax burden that's been put on business and industry that drives business offshore.
0: Right. It's Rick. our own It's our own fault that it's over there, but now it needs to be our own fault we bring it back. Exactly. And we've got the only way we're going to do that is get the tax burden
1: and the regulatory burden off of business and industry and let business do what it does. And I, I believe very firmly in a free market system. I tell you, Rick, the, the marketplace unencumbered by government, through the taxes and regulations it's the best way to control quality quantity and cost of all goods and services whether it's medical goods and services whether it's health care uh, my service as a doctor is constrained by the federal government and every doctor's is mm-hmm. in the hospital here we have a wonderful medical center here in Gwinnett County and and uh, just fantastic physicians I know a number of them and and the doctor's and hospitals and all providers are constrained by the federal government and, and the cost is just skyrocketing because of the federal government i wrote a bill called the option act when i was in congress i will reintroduce it that puts doctors and patients in charge of all their health care decisions and
0: important. it's going
1: to make health care cheaper for everybody my bill will will help every single solitary soul in this country have good quality access to good quality health care, and it saves Medicare from going broke. It's the only Republican bill that gets rid of Obamacare, which is disastrous. I said in in uh, Congress many times on the floor of the U.S. House that it was designed to fail, and it's going to lead us to socialized medicine. We see that it Democrats, was designed to get us there. Well, that's exactly right. It's designed to fail and to get us there and make people dependent upon the federal government for their health care uh, goods and services and payments so it was designed to fail to force us into what the democrats say medicare for all or medicaid for all which is going to be absolutely terrible terrible economically but it's going to be terrible for anybody
0: that really needs good
1: quality care
0: absolutely well i know that you know when we look at the medicine uh, is the medicine worse than the disease in the current coronavirus crisis how does let me ask you this, how do you think President Trump is handling this?
1: Oh, I think he's done a fantastic job. All the liberal press are just attacking him. But uh, I heard someone say that if he developed a uh, if he himself cancer. developed a cure for cancer, <laughs> the press would be attacking him for pe- people out of work. And that's exactly what's going on. He very quickly in January stopped the the influx of people from China into the United States. He was criticized. Awesome move. Criticized by the press for doing so. Criticized by the liberals, even criticized by the globalist Republicans for doing so. But it was absolutely the best thing to do. He's been on top of this. He's tried to uh, have a balance between uh, the economy and and uh, what's good healthcare wise on this virus. And I thought – I think he's done a just a fantastic job. I'll tell you, Rick, I was talking to a lady just the other day trying to raise some money from her, and she was just criticizing President Trump. And and she started saying, well, the Washington Post this, and Washington Post says <laughs> And I said, ma'am, you need to stop listening to the Washington Post. <laughs> you need Post to broaden your horizons. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. So uh, – but he's done a great job, and, and I think the experts, he listens to experts. I, I've had the opportunity to talk to President Trump one time, just me and him, and, and one of my staffers in his office at Trump Tower back years ago. He listens to people. He considers things. He is a very thoughtful, very intelligent individual. Uh, sometimes his his uh, rough street-fighting uh t- tactics that he comes out with and you've got to realize that's where he he's a business. he's a fighter and I appreciate that. I'm I'm a very ardent supporter of President Trump and his policies. He's done a fantastic job on this on this issue about the the Wuhan flu as I call it. The Wu flu is another friend yeah. of mine calls. It.
0: Well he he catches so much, you know, heat for, about the fact that he tries to remain positive about it, but quite frankly, you know, we know, everybody knows what the negatives are about it. We get plenty of that. I, thrown in our face absolutely we know that he's trying to be positive it's not it's not the positive spin and telling lies it's just trying to be positive and present that out to the people which is a good thing we don't need to constantly right. hear negative 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 we know all that crap tell us sure. something positive well he talked about
1: that he he hoped that the economy would open up by easter and and, and now he's uh, been criticized for saying that and he's backed off that and,
0: and Hopeful. It was just
1: a hope. Well, it was a hope, and he wasn't guaranteeing it, and, yeah. and he was just throwing that out as as a hope and a and a goal, and the, the, hopefully that uh, we're seeing that here in Georgia, the experts are saying we're going to peak uh, about three weeks from now or three and a half weeks from now, and hopefully that will happen. Uh, all of the the policies that Governor Kemp has put in place, I applaud what he's done too. Uh, Brian Kemp has been a friend of mine since before he ever got into politics. Um, I was involved in politics at the time, fighting for Second Amendment issues. I'm an activist on Second Amendment and pro-life, Good. too, and I was involved in those. But I've known Brian Kemp for before he ever ran for public office. And I, I have to applaud the great job that Governor Kemp has been doing in in trying to help protect Georgians deal with this crisis that we have economic crisis as well as the public health crisis he's done a fantastic job in his team in house he's put together a wonderful team and I have to applaud President Trump for the same thing both of them have been just great
0: and both of them are catch, catch hell for it but that's right you know you can't please everybody all the time you can't really can't please everybody anytime <laughs> but there's some people that you can't please anytime and you just have to You have to move through what you believe is the right thing to do, and that's what I've seen in both of those people. They do what they believe is right, right, and time proves them right. Absolutely, and uh, I'm looking forward to President Trump being
1: reelected in November. I'm I'm looking forward to my getting elected back to the U.S. Congress and going January back to fight for business and industry. The whole time that I was in Congress, I I, I fought to try to – to stop this out-of-control government and stop the spending, uh, we've got to get the economy going again with this crash that has occurred with this virus. But beyond that, even if this hadn't occurred, our economy needs a lot of help. And we help it by by stopping this government that's just so restrictive on business and industry. We need to have good, high-paying jobs for everybody Union, non-union, everybody. And we do that by bringing manufacturing back, letting technology come to play, uh, getting the government out of the way. Let our and American
0: ingenuity take over. Oh, absolutely, Rick. And that's what I fought for and what I'll continue to fight for. Well, you talk about costs. How do we take uh, some of the costs of this health care? What, what what can be done about the health care costs? Would Pass you like
1: my option. That. That's, there the you best, <laughs> that's the best way to do it. And I'll reintroduce it very quickly and... and about cost on business. Uh, I introduced a bill called the JOBS Act, which JOBS is an acronym for jump-starting our business sector. And what it would do is it would permanently reduce capital gains taxes, corporate taxes, and death taxes to zero. And it would allow all businesses to do an immediate write-off all capital expenditures, or they could take it over a three-year period of time if they needed to do it that way as far as their taxes are concerned. I talked to Art Laffer, the famous economist, about my bill and he said paul there's no economic model to even guess how big that would be to spark our economy i introduced that back when we were having all that that problem back in the late uh, well in 2008 2009 2010 i remember well. but we still need that today and i'll reintroduce that bill just as well President Trump has done a great job to try to cut some of the regulatory burden off business and industry and has done a great job in reducing taxes. But to, as far as I'm concerned, that's just the beginning. And we need to continue what he's been doing. And I look forward to working with President Trump to help further get the economic burden and regulatory burden off businesses so that they can operate without all these government constraints.
0: Well, JOBS Act is a good thing. And, you know, that whole idea is to create the jobs. Yep. And, you know, not not something that somebody wants to call a shovel-ready job uh-huh. that never materialized. And we found out that they weren't so <laughs> shovel-ready, and it was a big waste. I they, voted
1: against that, by the way. They
0: were shoveling, all right, but we yeah. won't talk about what they were shoveling. <laughs> That's right. Um you know, the Federal Reserve is playing uh, an appropriate role in the economic crisis, isn't it? Um, I don't
1: know about that. I want to get rid of the Federal Reserve, actually, and introduce the bill to do so. Was it making things
0: better or worse?
1: Well, I, I the Federal Reserve was a very integral part of why we had that crash in 2008. That and Freddie and Fannie and, and the policies. And all the games budget. being played. Well, that's right, and the Community Reinvestment Act and, uh, that uh, Jimmy Carter Put in place, and then, uh, then Bill Clinton just uh, threw gas, gas on, on that on fire, it, yeah. Yeah, if to use a trite phrase. But uh, and then all of the things that were we'll put together through FDIC, and uh, it was just a big bubble, housing bubble that was created by government. Again, the government's the problem. Is uh, the government's a problem in health care? Government's the problem in our economy. Government's the problem uh, with with our monetary supply under the Constitution, the Congress is supposed to do what the federal government, what the Federal Reserve's doing. I introduced a bill that would actually pass the U.S. House. It was one that uh, my dear friend, Dr. Ron Paul, introduced to audit the Fed, tweaked it a little bit. I reintroduced it. We got it passed in the U.S. House Uh, overwhelmingly, bipartisanly, 300 and some odd votes uh, passed that bill. But then uh, Harry Reid threw it in the trash can over on the Senate side. We need to have a full, transparent audit of the Federal Reserve, and then we need to get rid of the Federal Reserve <laughs> and go back to money that has value behind it. I'd like to see us go back to a gold standard, a silver standard, something, so that our, our dollars mean something. And uh, in, inflation does not increase the economic basis of our country. Absolutely. Back, Rick, back when the Federal Reserve was established in 1913, Back then, a nickel would buy what a dollar buys today, and we've had that much inflation. That's not economic growth at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, you look at at policies that the Democrats are pushing, such as as increasing the the minimum wage laws. That puts people out of work. Yes, it does. It um, it increases the cost of all goods and services. It is uh, it. it hurts our economy tremendously and the thing is if you increase the minimum wage then the price of everything goes up and you don't get any uh, benefit from the increased money that people get I mean if if, say uh, $4 buys a gallon of milk today and you increase the minimum wage and double it and milk's then $10 a gallon then you haven't gotten anywhere and that's exactly what Uh, what happens when you increase the minimum wage
0: well and you know there's there's so much push and hype around it that that people forget that a minimum wage is just that it's a minimum wage as an introductory wage and if you're you know into the workforce if you're sitting there and you're relying on a minimum wage as a life support system that's not you, you, need, to, you need to go get a job. You need yeah. to go get a little bit of education. You right. need to work on something to improve yourself because you're working at, forgive me, but a high school entry idea level of getting high school right. and, or, and kids into this learning how to work. And then you're wanting to live on that? Well, the
1: problem is what a lot of people don't realize, Rick, is that the, a lot of union uh, wages are based on minimum wage. Mm-hmm and so it is inflationary not only for the minimum wage earner but it's inflationary for all uh for all people who are working and and it just increases the cost for everybody i'm not, i'm very pro union frankly and but the I, what i'm not in favor of is the union violence i'm not in favor of card check i'm not in favor of forced unionizations but if people Absolutely. want to unionize that's great in fact i would like my uh, option act to be looked at by the unions because they would benefit and the union workers the union membership would benefit from my option act tremendously uh, and i wish that they would all look at it and embrace it the uh, the, the thing is uh, we need to create good high-paying jobs and the way to do that is give people the opportunity to get the education to fulfill those jobs. I'm a very, very fierce supporter of the technical education. I was on the the uh, foundation board for Athens Tech in Athens, Georgia, uh, for several years. And, and my dad, who was in the Senate, really promoted technical education. We need to push that down into high school even more and more than it is being given now so that – I'd like to see people graduate from high school and be able to go get a job welding, for instance, or as a mm-hmm. medical technician. And, and uh, there's no reason not to do that. So let's let's push those uh, technical education skills down into the high school so that they can graduate from high school with a technical education, with an associate's degree in welding or, or medical assistance or, or medical technology or Whatever, and and they can go to work and get a make a decent living. I know I was talking to a guy that is studying welding right now today, and he's doing MIG and TIG welding. And, and you're talking about over hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars job for somebody with a technical education. And there's a it, lot of them around. Oh, absolutely, and we need to we need to increase that opportunity for kids all across the board. Well, we
0: have so much to offer here in Gwinnett County, especially because you have a lot of that beginning to work its way into it, Uh, Maxwell and a lot of other places. But the whole idea is there's a lot of kids out here that don't, their desire and their abilities that they want to do are not in a four, five, six, seven, eight years worth of college. True. They love working with their hands. They love putting their mind on what they can create with their hands. Right. And doing something like the technical jobs that are about that you can train for out there—that's right in there, right in there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, they, they could be a machinist or a carpenter or exactly. or, or a roofer or those types of things. The thing is, Rick, though, we're going to have to get rid of the Department of Education because the Department of Education is impeding our doing those kinds of of. Uh, of reforms within the educational system and i wrote the bill <laughs> i wrote a bill that is very difficult to write it's called the department of education elimination act common core's got to go absolutely it's got to go and what it's doing is it's is it's, it's dumbing down our kids uh, i heard eric erickson talking uh, on the radio about his kid came home and they, they were learning to subtract by adding i mean this is crazy and this is all part of common core We need to allow parents and and teachers to be involved in directing the education of their children. We've got to pay our teachers more. They're not being paid enough today. Let's save that money that we're paying this huge bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. Let's save it here in Georgia and pay our teachers more. Let teachers teach instead of forcing them to comply with all this government regulations. Again, it's too much government instead of having to comply with a, with all this government regulation, all this government testing that's mandated by the Department of Education, let's let teachers here in Gwinnett County and all across Georgia teach what they're taught to do when they go to the University of Georgia or any other college to get their degree in teaching. Let's pay them more, and let's get parents back involved in the classroom, back involved in helping to direct the education of the children as biblically they're supposed to do. And, uh, and let's have a good curriculum. Let's, uh, our science, technology, engineering uh, levels are falling worldwide because of government. Let's so get rid we, of the Department of Education. And I'll reintroduce my Department of Education Elimination Act very soon
0: after I get back there. So you're saying, let's try common sense instead of the common core.
1: (laughs) I've never heard somebody say that, but you got that (laughs) right, brother. (laughs) You got that right.
0: Well, you know, and that brings you right into it. You mentioned something about spending. How do you reduce the federal spending? Well, I
1: introduced more targeted spending cuts than any member of Congress when I was there, and I don't think anybody has uh, matched what I did when I was there. I got some of those spending cuts uh, actually put into law, but the best way to – to do it is start sending power to the states or to the people as the Constitution in the Tenth Amendment demands. The Tenth Amendment says if a power is not specifically given to the federal government by the Constitution, then those rights are reserved for the states or the people. Mm-hmm. And we were doing things in Washington that the states or the people should be doing. Education is one. Uh, Health care is another. I want to get rid of the Department of, of Labor and Department of Commerce. And we can, the things such as in the Department of Commerce, the Weather Service, that can be run by the military. We, FAA can be a freestanding uh entity in itself uh and and people ask me well dr brown is FAA authorized in the constitution absolutely it is because the constitution authorizes postal roads and those i'm a pilot and those those postal roads in the sky are the uh, things that we fly across uh it's it's just federal highways in the sky so it is authorized so anyway Let's get rid of the Department of Education. Let's keep our transportation dollars here, so we can build roads and build buildings with, uh, I mean, build bridges without, without the federal government telling us how to do it, and how to put these crosswalk walkers, out, uh, markers out in the. Uh, out in the country where nobody's Nobody walking all, all, I mean it's crazy, and it, it, that's just an example of the overreach of the federal government. And let's let's keep that money here. Let's let let's let uh, Governor Kemp and the General Assembly uh, take care of our environment. I want to get rid of the EPA. I want to get rid of the IRS too. In fact, I've been a very ardent supporter of of a national retail sales tax, a fair tax. Um, I'd like to see that. Well, and and the thing is, it's going to spur their economy tremendously if we do that, Rick. So uh, there are just so many things and it's all really tied to the constitution and limited government. And, when I was elected to Congress in 2007, there were two of us in the U.S. House, one in the U.S. Senate that truly believed in the Constitution as our founding fathers intended it. It's me and my dear friend, Dr. Ron Paul, and then my other good friend over in the Senate, uh, Jim DeMint from South Carolina. There are few more today, but very few. We've got to have a revolution at the ballot box. We've got to demand from our politicians that they stand firm on what they swear to uphold, and that's the Constitution of the United States against enemies both foreign and, and domestic. domestic and i have made speeches on the floor rick saying that we've got domestic enemies of the constitution and they're the leadership of this here house of representatives and there are more enemies of the constitution across the street from the u.s capitol wearing black robes sitting on the u.s supreme court they're tyrants That need to be removed, and they're enemies of the Constitution as well, and they've got to go, and the only way that's going to happen is for the American people to understand how far we've gotten away from the principles that made this country great. Our U.S. Constitution, Declaration of Independence, cannot be separated. They're written by men that believed in biblical principles, and those biblical principles give us liberty and freedom, and the choice of what religion we will want to... Participate in. It gives the uh, a freedom of choice of our jobs, uh, freedom of travel, freedom of everything. We we've got to return liberty back to the, the American people, and we're losing it just little bit by little bit by little bit. Well, and we it, could go and on just to for hours,
0: time. but I want to ask you one last question that's important. What does the separation of church and state mean to you? What role should the religion play in public policy discourse? President uh, John Adams
1: was very famously quoted as saying, our Constitution is written for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. Our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence were written on biblical principles. The separation of church and state, as the courts have been given us and people understand it, uh, are just totally wrong, historically wrong, the the term separation of church and state came from a uh, letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Connecticut Baptists. They were concerned that the government was going to establish a national denomination. And Thomas Jefferson wrote him back and said that the Constitution prevents that from happening and used the term uh, a wall of separation. And the court's over and over again were warned and the American people were over and over again warned by justices of the Supreme Court that if that kept being utilized that people would think that that was part of the Constitution. It's not. The only Constitution it's part of is the Russian uh, Communist Constitution for the Soviet Union. Uh, It's not part of our Constitution. I agree with President John Adams. The thing is, what our founding fathers wanted was the Congress not to establish a denomination that's a national denomination. James Madison saw what happened in Virginia when that occurred. The pastors of that denomination just became government bureaucrats. They stopped preaching the gospel. they started, uh, they, they started uh, trying to suppress other denominations and they didn't want that. You see, under the Constitution, Article 1, section one, sentence one says all legislative authority is vested in the Congress of the United States. Uh, constitutionally, presidents cannot make new law through executive order, and courts cannot make law. They have no authority to do that. The federal judiciary is only constrained to five things. The, the U.S. Uh, Congress is only constrained to 18 things that they can pass laws about. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier the Commerce Clause is supposed to be a state limitation, to regulate commerce to be meant to them to make it regular, to make it occur. They just did not want the states putting up a block to commerce across state lines and with foreign commerce. They never, ever, ever intended for the federal government to control commerce like we look at regulate commerce today. That was never their intent, and we've got to get that regulatory burden off commerce so that we can have a strong economy, so people can have good-paying jobs. We've got to get government off the back of the American people and return back to those principles that are biblical principles that went into the Constitution, and everybody, even if you're an atheist, even if you're a Muslim or, or a Hindu or a Buddhist, it doesn't matter those principles that go into the Constitution— and the Declaration of Independence are biblical principles, and people of moral character and moral beliefs need to be involved in government. In fact, mm-hmm. Romans thirteen one says God ordained government, and if you read Romans thirteen one through 5, you see that the rulers are supposed to be ministers of righteousness, not ministers of evil like we see what's going on with a lot of court rulings and a lot of what's going on in Washington today. It just has to stop, and the American people need to start standing up and say, no, we're not going to put up with this anymore.
0: Well, I think it would help if people would just stop and think that what what it, what it basically amounts to is we have freedom of religion, not from religion. Not from religion. Well, Rick, you in know,
1: if you look uh, back in the early 1960s, the U.S. Supreme Court Said, God, you're not welcome in America anymore. And we spit in his face. The US Supreme Court actually established secular humanism as the national religion is what they did. People need to look at what secular humanism is all about, but we're seeing the the evil result of that. All these mass shootings are because the blood of those people on the heads and hands of those US Supreme Court justices that said we're not gonna have prayer in school. You can't post the Ten Commandments. You can't have, uh, you can't have religion being involved in government, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They've created this outpouring of evil we see all across the country. Cops are being killed. They go to, to uh, investigate a party. Because of noise and cops are getting killed, or the or a uh, uh, state patrol stops somebody on the side of the road just for speeding and gets killed. Yep. Why? Because of secular humanism. Because of of the evil that the U.S. Supreme Court created when they established secular humanism as our nation's uh, official religion. And it just has to stop.
0: Well, I tell you, I could go on talking with you for about two, three more hours. Is that all? Uh, let's just. Let's I've got just, a lot more information than two or three no, hours. I'm just talking ready, about. So. Then we might need to break we'll, for lunch, and okay. we will come okay. back, and we can get on some more. Uh, but uh, you know, I would love to have you back at some point, and we'll continue these conversations, because, like you say, there are back. there is so much more that can be talked about yeah. in what we can do for our nation, and the people of our nation. You know, if we just stop, take a breath. Try remembering our past for a change and looking at it and moving forward instead of trying to make everybody forget what the past is. We live, our our country is our past. Mm -hmm. It is our present and it will make our future absolutely and that's what we've got to remember yeah. too. thank you very much for coming on
1: well thank you so much people can check me out at paulbrown.com is p-a-u-l-b-r-o-u-n dot com my family can't spell it can't pronounce i'm not <laughs> sure which rig but paulbrown.com they can contribute they can volunteer people anyway i've got folks from new hampshire that are going to be call, making phone calls for me to try to help get people to vote for me in the ninth Terrific. congressional district so uh and people all over the country can can contribute so go on paulbrown.com and you can do that you can check me out you can look at all the things that we're talking about and you can contact me at paul at paulbrown.com as well i'd love being back rick we've got to have that res- revolution at ballot box people have to stop voting for people on personality And by that, I mean uh, whether it's gender or skin color or or political party or any of other personality things. And start voting for people on principle. And people need to understand how far we've gotten away from the U.S. Constitution. So I encourage people to read the Constitution and then read what our founding fathers said about it. There's a great resource that people can buy in the bookstore It's called The Federalist Papers in Modern Language. Mary E. Webster is the editor of that. It just explains the Constitution about the legal document that it really is that it's not a living and breathing document. You'll see that the Commerce Clause is a state limitation and it was never meant for the federal government to to uh, control commerce like it's doing. They, our founding fathers believed in individual accountability and, and responsibility. They believed in everybody being treated equally under the law. They believed in a free market system. Those are the things I believe in, and I'm going to fight for for the people of the Ninth congressional district but the people of georgia and the people of america that's what i'm all about i'm a fierce fighter for liberty and that's exactly what i'll do when the people in the ninth district send me back to washington so please pray for me will do. check me out paulbrown.com and volunteer and contribute or you can find
0: him on on uh, facebook at, at paul brown ga
1: that's right so, Thanks for that plug. <laughs> yeah, hey, anytime.
0: Well listen, thank you for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services, and again sponsored in part by Sosby's Garage. Go see John 678-825-2127. Look him up on Google or Facebook, Sosby's Garage. That's S O E S B E Apostrophe S Garage. Remember you can join us live every Wednesday at eleven thirty in the morning. Or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com, clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, click on Case in Point. Join us next week at 1130 when we will talk with business leaders about their businesses and related security issues in today's world. Thanks again to my guest, Paul Brown, Dr. Paul Brown, and for our producer, Mike, and then for Amanda back in the background, I am Rick Strawn, And remember, at Paradigm Security Services... We cover more than just your assets.